We now begin the fourth and final parak of Masechus Bikurim. This will be the last chapter in Bikurim, and therefore the last chapter in all of Seder's Rhyme. Although the truth is that it's almost certain that this chapter was not originally part of the Mishnayas, but was appended later on, and actually is a set of prices. Um, there are a few reasons to think that. First of all, the Gemara Yavamos Pei Gimel refers to one of these Mishnayas as a Brisa, as opposed to a Mishnah. Second of all, when the Rambam counts the number of chapters that there are in the Mishnayas, his total count is 523, um, which means our set of Mishnayas is 525, Prakim. Um, so that discrepancy of two chapters is is almost certainly, um, first of all, the sixth pa- chapter of Pirke Avos, which are Brisas, and then this fourth chapter of Bikurim. Um, because of that, essentially, no Rishonim have a parish on this fourth chapter of Bikurim. The only exception is the Rush, Rishimshan Mishans, and even the Bartanur has nothing, as Rishon actually, has nothing to say on this um, this parak either. So we are going to be relying on Rishimshan Mishans, um, who actually, in truth, has been an unsung hero throughout Seder's Rhyme for us. And therefore, let me just give uh, a one minute about him so it doesn't get uh, short shrifted. The Rush is probably the third most important of the Balai Tosfos after Rabbein Matam and the Ri. And he was a student of Rabbein Matam and the Ri. The Tosfos that we have throughout our Bavli are essentially his versions of Tosfos's commentary, meaning the school of Tosfos, um, that were maybe edited a little later on, but they really come primarily through him. So the Rush based his work heavily on the Rishalmi and the Tosefta, and he wrote a parish on uh, Mishnayas, one of the few, and you see here he's the only one um, in Bikurim at the end, and therefore he's really a primary source that supports our learning of Seder's rhyme for sure, as well as Taros, uh, and the Bartanur relied heavily upon him as well, so he's been involved in, uh, with us the whole way through. Uh, Mishans, what he had his yeshiva in Sens in, in France, modern-day France. Um, Sens, the French word, became Shantz in Jewish talk, as many other cities, like, for example, Mainz was Magenza, etc. Now, um, and the rush at the end of his life in 1211 went with 300 rabbis from France and England to Eretz Israel. So he actually ended up in Eretz Israel, and he's, born, he's buried in Akko. Now, We'll rely on him um, to explain this Armishnayas here. Um, the truth is that there's a number of versions of these Mishnayas, so we will um, work off the version that's attributed to um, the version of the Rashash, which is Rav Shemshemishans. Usually we refer to him as the Rush, simply. In English, R-A-S-H, the Rush, as opposed to the Rosh. Um, okay, so now the topic of our chapter here is the Androgonos. Androgonos is someone who has genitalia of both uh, male and female. And that being the case, whether he's a male or a female is ambiguous, and this therefore is quite similar to the story of the koi we had in the previous parak. We said it's a, it was ambiguous whether this koi was a behemoth or a chaya. Because of that similarity, it seems that the topic of the Androgonos was appended here to the end of Bikurim. Now, just a few points on androgynous. First of all, in English, there are really three words um, that could refer to someone who has 
um, both male and female parts. Um, the first is hermaphrodite, the second androgen, and the third intersex. Um, hermaphrodite seems, although it is a Greek word that Chazal could have had access to, um, it seems to have not been very popular, be- and not popular at all, not used, because the hermaphrodite is, um, the word etymology is from the word Hermes and Aphrodite, from Greek mythology coming together. Therefore, because of its Avodazara connotations, it's not used. And in modern English, the hermaphrodite would refer more to an animal than a person anyways. Um, the androgen, that's, that sounds very similar to androgynous, and what you see used throughout the English translations of this Masechta. Um, andro from the word man, like android, for example, and gyn, gyn, or jinn, is referring to woman, like gynecologist, etc. So the androgen is someone who is both male and female. In truth, outside of Torah literature, this is not a very uh, frequently used word, and if it is, it's, it's used to refer to someone who's looked at as having an ambiguous gender as opposed to ambiguous um, sex. I don't want to get to the chilek now, um, but the proper term that's used here in the 21st century in scientific literature for a person who has both male and female parts is intersex. However, that doesn't sound so appropriate, and therefore we won't use that term. We'll stick with androgen. Okay, so here we go. The Bryce, the Mishnah starts out by saying, that in, yeah, we'll call it a Mishnah from now on, because it's in our Mishnahis. The Mishnah says, Tanya, it says in Abraisa, Androgynous, when it comes to the androgynous, someone who has both male and female, or partially male and partially female, or ambiguous male and ambiguous female genitalia, and therefore we're not sure if it's a male or a female, yeshbo drachem shavala anashim, in some ways the androgen's halachic status is like a man, yeshbo drachem shavala anashim, in other ways the halachic status of the androgen is treated as if he were a woman. I'll refer to him as a he throughout this parak. In some ways, the androgen is halakhli um, the same as both men and women. And and in some ways, the androgen's halakhic status is different from both men and women. 